Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 46th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is a special edition of the Real Hawk Talk podcast because, folks, it's the playoffs. Your absolute trash Seahawks from last year jettisoned their best offensive player and their best defensive player, started six rookies, lost to the Falcons, lost to the Saints, lost to the Panthers and Raiders at home, got swept by the 49ers, and they're in the playoffs. All of those things happened. And we have the number five pick, and we have an excellent crew to talk about. All that with you. I am Brian Nemhauser, ad hoc blogger on Twitter. Let me bring in the crew to celebrate and talk through everything here. We will start with the, the guy who's, you know, been here for part of it and not for other parts. He's been, I think, protecting his mentals a little bit, as Marshawn would say. Uh, and and now he's he's here. He would not have missed this. He's traveling, so we really appreciate him finding the time and space. Evan Hill, at Evan Hill HB on Twitter. Although you won't find him there. You'll only find him on Real Hawk Talk Slack. So if you want to find him, that's where to go. How's it going, Evan? I'm doing so well. It's so funny you just mentioned the Twitter thing because I'm hovering my mouse, my touchpad over the word tweet right now. Oh, do and, it. And it, okay, fuck it. Right. Do it. You just, you just, you just, you just made me do it. And uh, it is a Donald Trump 
esque tweet about Jason Myers, all pro, all pro motherfuckers, all pro. He will be designated as such from now on. And uh, God, that was such good news. But sorry, I didn't. I didn't plan to go in that direction. But you just uh, you just encouraged me to do bad things, Brian. So thank you. That's that's our relationship. Um, people don't need to know more than that. Um, okay. And from there, let me bring in Dana O'Gorman, the class of the show, uh, the balance perspective. Uh, Dana, it's so good to see you at Dana OG on Twitter. She's also all over Real Hawk Talk Slack. So uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to burst Evan's bubble a little bit here, though, because it was the first inaugural NFLPA All Pro list that he made. Is what I saw. Wait, is it not official? No, I mean, it's their version of All Pro. So it's the NFLPA had all the players vote. I don't know that the official All Pro teams have come out yet, if I remember correctly. So I have to admit, I haven't, I haven't followed that. I thought that was now the official All Pro. Is that so that like, oh, is it? Oh, now maybe I'm wrong. So did they get rid of the eight, the other, the AP All Pro? I haven't followed it closely enough. No, No. Jeff, Jeff's Jeff's the one knows. Jeff's like, But still, but Evan, it's kick ass, right? Because that means the players voted for him, right? But you know why they voted for him? Because these were the opponents. They were like, yes, he's the kicker we want facing us if the game's on the line. He's going to help us win by missing the kick. So no, poor that, Evan. that's how they voted for him. Poor Evan. That doink was kind of funny, though. <laughs> it, was, it, was it was loud. Oh, uh, man. And finally, but certainly not uh, least, already contributing with knowledge that the rest of us did not have, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, wearing his Seahawks beanie. I've got that same one. I uh, That is a OG beanie. I love it. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm back in Canada. I'm back in the cold. <laughs> My tan, if it, and it existed, is gone already. So... It's football weather, I guess, for playoffs, but <laughs> it is. It I'm still is. riding that high from our Sunday show. You know, Jeff, uh, I won't go deep into weather, but I will just say, uh, opening myself up to criticisms from, from Evan, I literally sent a text to Rachel, my wife, last night. It was like, it's 440 and it's still light out. I'm so excited. Uh, so <laughs> winter solstice behind us. Days are getting longer. Man, I'm ready for that. So, uh, okay. All right. Let's talk, let's talk about this game. I, I, I've written a lot about this game. I've thought a lot about this game. Um, but I would love to hear from each of you. And I want to start with Dana. Like I haven't had a chance to talk to you since the Seahawks won, since the Lions lost, like we know we're playing the 49ers. Like, where are you emotionally? Like, what's your relationship? to this game that we're about to play. Uh, <laughs> I'm in such a weird headspace because when Seattle won, I mean, it, it was so exciting. And in my head, I'm like, oh, but that damn Aaron Rodgers is going to screw it up. But that's okay because we've had a great season. You know, I can really talk myself into these things. And and then when the Lions beat them and sent poor Aaron Rodgers home, which did not break my heart at all, I was just so excited. And then I thought, damn it. Trayton and Nathan were right all along. They kept telling us they were going to make the playoffs and we kept laughing at them and telling them how crazy they were, but it it was just so exciting. And yet at the same time, 
everyone knows we're, we're playing with house money at this point. Like this is like, we're not really supposed to be there. We're doing just fine. And it seems to me that the team feels that way too. Like they're just having a great time with it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, because I think this is the most loose I've seen this team since after week one, when they beat Russell, like this week in practice, they look like they're having a great time. And because they know they're not winning the Super Bowl, right? Like they get it, but it's just, it's a lot of fun to have made those incentives that all those players really deserve. And, you know, K coach Carroll gets another, you know, notch in his belt going to the playoffs. And so it's just fun. This whole season has been a lot of fun. Even if the six game losing streak was fun. Can I ask a question? Let's yeah. let's let's uh, paint a theoretical situation here. Let's say the Seahawks beat the Niners on Saturday. I love it already. Let's say they do this. Where does where would that win rank, joy wise, compared to beating the Broncos in Week One? And maybe it's not even close for you, but for me, it would be about two or three x above uh, it. Better. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so much better than beating the Broncos, especially after seeing how the Broncos season went. I think that that takes that win down a little bit for me. But oh my God, to send the Niners home from the playoffs, you, from this crap team after they beat us twice in the season. Yes, sign me up. Let's do it. Yeah, so I, I preface that question saying there's literally video evidence of me running down my street, like in my boxers, <laughs> almost naked, like running back and forth screaming and the police getting called from week one. So like two to three X that level is, a, you know, we're talking about borderline illegal things happening. Keep your clothes on. Keep yeah, your clothes on. So we'll see. <laughs> That's such a good question because it seems obvious, but I was so psyched after that game. That was like such a absolute release uh, to be in that situation, to win that game, to know that it was going to affect the draft pick, to know like everything just came together and the, and the, the stadium hadn't felt like that in years. Like it was just electric that night. So, but man, the to use an evanism the content just the absolute content from beating the 49ers oh my god it would get it would get people back to twitter <laughs> oh. oh i'd get doxxed again so fast i'd be talking so much shit <sighs> yeah yeah evan i mean what was your reaction uh to the seahawks making the playoffs like you know i know you had a very different prediction than than trey and and uh, nathan but not that far off from where i think jeff and dana and i were so like it wasn't like crazy uh what what is your reaction like how are you feeling about this yeah it, it, you know one side of my brain says you know what we've seen historically this season is We've seen some really highs, high highs and some low lows from both sides of the ball. And, you know, watching your postgame show from um, Sunday, uh, I kind of started talking myself into what and maybe Jeff was making this argument specifically. But what if just for one game, just for one game, past wildcard weekend, doesn't matter, just for one game, the offense and the defense can put it together just for one game. Maybe Brock Purdy makes a couple mistakes. It's. It's not completely unrealistic that the Seahawks could beat the Niners here. But I, I think going back to your original question from last weekend, I, I actually didn't think the Seahawks were going to beat the Rams. I was nervous they Neither. were going to blow it. 
and I was worried the Lions were going to beat the Packers. So I was actually kind of convinced that the Dan Campbell effect uh, was going to play a real factor, you know, knocking out your divisional rival. Everybody hates the fucking Packers. You see the the Lions doing FTP on, you know, on virtually every social media channel they have. Um, I actually felt reasonably confident in a win there. I, I was not sure that Seattle was going to pull it off. But as we all know, Jason Myers came through, came, came through in the clutch. So what can you say? Man, did you get to see Aaron Rodgers walking off that field after that game? Did you get to see any of that game? Uh, I did not. So what what was his uh, – was it just pure depression? I mean, Jeff, you, you could talk to it because I know you uh, – At the end of the game, the Lions receiver for their first-round pick, Jameson Williams, went up to him. And on camera, he asked for his jersey. And Rodgers said no. He's like, I want to hold on to this. And then they showed him and Randall Cobb walking off the field, like arm in arm. Like he looked like he was going to cry. It was incredible to watch. He looked like a child. It was so funny. And he looked so sad. And I was just eating it up. Yeah. And he was the reason, like, he was a big reason they lost. Well, no, he's why they lost. He sucked. Yeah, it it was very satisfying. It was, it was like satisfying in in multiple ways. But we're not going to spend any more time talking about what happened. We're going to start talking about this game. Like, people are in the chat are already like, this is going to, they got to do this. They got to do that. Here's how we're going to do this. I will admit like Nathan and I don't see this the same way, but like even after the 49ers post game show, I went into that last 49ers matchup. I expected the Seahawks to get absolutely plastered. I thought they were going to get blown off their home field. I thought it was going like, I, I literally went to that game mainly because I share tickets with a friend and I wanted to be a good friend and go, but I didn't want to go to that game. I, it was like being asked to go to my, like an execution of someone I loved. Like I just didn't want to go. And then the defense like did okay in that game. And I know no one wants to admit it. Everyone talks about the very last play, but it was like, it was a one score game late in the fourth quarter. It was seven, three, with one minute left in the first half and we had the ball and I don't, and the Seahawks like Quandry Jigs dropped an interception, Travis Homer fumbled a, like, a, uh, you know, something, like there's a case to be made that the, that was not that crazy of a, like a mismatch, even though it felt the whole way, like the 49ers are on the cusp of winning 40 to two. So like, I'm curious, like, honestly, where where are you guys in terms of like how crazy would it be for the Seahawks to compete in this game? And Jeff, I want to start with you on this one. I don't think it's crazy for them to compete, but I, I think it's very crazy for them to win. But I have the same thought as you in that game, Brian. I remember we came on the show and that was right after the Carolina game, which to me was by far the most discouraging game of the year. Like when they played Carolina, they it was the most gut punch. They couldn't stop the run at all. And I've been watching the Seahawks since like 2002, 2003, like religiously. I don't, that game going into it, I don't remember being that just uninterested in watching a game. I haven't considered skipping it. Like I know Dana, I remember talking about that to do. And I remember coming out of that, I didn't convince myself to watch it because I'm a wuss and have no stomach, but I didn't convince myself to watch it. I remember like being like pleasantly surprised because they get killed and they actually had a spine in that game defensively. And Travis Homer fumbles the ball and, they stopped the run and yeah, they gave up some trick plays to Kittle, but it, for the most part, that was when their defense started to look a little better. 
And San Francisco is just so much more talented than Seattle. Seattle's a great story. They're not a great team yet. San Francisco is a fully made team. They're exactly what we want if they hit on two years of picks. They're, we talk about blue chip players. They're full of them. But this game, the spread keeps dropping, and the weather is supposed to be terrible. And we've seen this happen before with Pete and the Saints. Like, weird shit can happen. And if they play defense like they had the last few weeks, there's a chance. I still think it's extremely unlikely. I definitely was not the one making that argument, Evan. It was probably Nathan. Um, I don't think we have much of a chance here, but it's not crazy. It's not crazy. Weird shit can happen in this playoffs. Dana, can they win? Of course they can win. It's a division game. I mean, that's the one thing that plays into this a lot more than I think people are giving credit to. Do I think they're going to? No, I don't think they're going to. But can they? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just logic, right? There was a stat that um, one of the 49ers reporters put out there that said of teams that play each other in the playoffs that have already played twice. So basically division, division members who play each other in the playoffs and one team has beaten the other team twice during the season. It's like 13 and five. They win the, the third game, the playoff game. Well, of course, that makes logical sense. Traditionally, that would be that that team is better. But I replied to him, so you're saying there's a chance because there is a chance, right? You never know what's going to happen, especially in the weather that's going to be there. And the way Seattle has looked defensively over the last few games, Quandre Diggs is, I know you guys think I defend him all the time, but Quandre Diggs is looking so much better and looking more like himself and looking like his injury isn't bothering him anymore. Plus some other great players. I know in the chat, they keep saying this Niners were missing this person. Niners are missing this person. Well, Al Woods wasn't in that game, the last game either. And he is huge when it comes to run stopping and Christian McCaffrey is their main guy, right? So you need his help. So is there a way to win this game? Absolutely. It is going to be some weird, fluky, two defensive interception and run back for pick six, some weird something that's going to happen. But for Seattle to win this game, I think it's really important that people know how well these teams know each other, which is good and bad for Seattle. And that sometimes when Pete Carroll does not give a crap anymore, he just starts throwing shit against the wall. And half the time, it doesn't work, but sometimes, sometimes it does. And so I think it's going to take some weird plays like that. It's going to take some luck and it's going to take some mistakes by a team that has all the pressure on them. Seattle has no pressure, not a drop of it. And that's going to be huge for them. It's very well, hard to beat, yeah. you know, a team three straight times, no matter, no matter how different, how big the, you know, talent disparity differences. But I think you both, both make really good points. I, I Dana, I, I think you nailed it when you said like all it takes and this, this sounds obvious, but it really is, is the scenario I think in which Seattle could win this football game is Seattle has to limit any turnovers mm-hmm. and they have to get a couple lucky bounces and, you know, two turnover, you know, two position, uh, what, what I'm looking what's the word I'm looking for? Possessions. Two possession changes could be this game literally. So what, you know, maybe one Brock Purdy interception, maybe one, uh, fumble luck bounce. Like we could be in this game. We could win this game, but I also think there's like a 50% chance we lose this game by 40. <laughs> so like, so like, I'm, I'm, I, I want to be clear and I want to hedge my bets a little bit and cop out and say like, there is a huge talent disparity on these two football teams and we should lose by a lot. And if we don't lose by a lot, I think it, it'll say, you know, it'll give credit to the extent of the coaching performance. It would be, I mean, I put it out there earlier this week and it's like, still people are still responding to the question. Like, 
would this be the most humiliating loss in 49ers playoff history? And most people are like, yeah, like it would be. Um, some people try to say some game in 87 against the Vikings or something or whatever, but. Um, you know who was on the 87 staff? Pete Carroll. Yeah. Pete Carroll, that, that 88, like that's when he was with Bud Grant, like his, his, his big guy and Joey Browner and uh, like uh, they had, they had quite a defense back then, but I don't know. I think the, the, the game scripts I think about here, one, like the thing that I think we're all agree on is they can't turn the ball over that, that like they, <laughs> they cannot turn the ball over. That's more important than even getting a turnover. They just cannot give the, the ball in tough situations. But here's the other thing. If somehow the Seahawks start, if Geno Smith starts and manages to get a touchdown in the first quarter, first couple possessions, if the Seahawks gain some level of offensive confidence, I think this could be a game. I like I've really thought about going to yeah. this game. Did you? I'm, I'm really thinking about it. I might pull like a last second. Like, because I, I still haven't booked my flight. I'm in Denver right now. I haven't booked my return flight home. And I'm really thinking about just going straight, straight there on Saturday. Are there like stab proof vests you could wear? <laughs> I would worry for your safety, Evan. <laughs> I would go with the, I would straight up go with the most troll intensive sign possible. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'd wear like a Jerry Rice Seahawks jersey. It, it would be, it would be like, I do not plan on leaving that stadium alive. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Are you wearing any Seahawks gear around Denver? I oh. am not, but I've seen a lot of Seahawks gear. Oh, I'd be, wearing it. I'd be wearing it everywhere. That's an excellent question, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> well, you'll have to keep us informed. You're going to be our, our man in the, on the, on the scene, especially, I mean, can you imagine if the Seahawks, if the Seahawks managed to win that game, that oh. stadium, they, the faithful will be gone by the third quarter, like, and they will be absent from every other part of, of social media. Like they are the most false faithful fan base. I know like Cowboys fans, I think Cowboys fans are super obnoxious, but guess what? They're always there. Win or lose. They are always talking Cowboys. They're always like in numbers. 49ers fans. They are absent when the team is bad, they are just totally not around. And then as soon as they start winning and as soon as they start looking tough, they are just pounding their chest. And it's just like one of the least mm -hmm. respectable ways to be a fan, in my opinion. And so it adds to it for me. Like, I don't hate Christian McCaffrey. I actually like Debo Samuel. I like Brandon Ayuk. Like, you know, I'm not a big Nick Bosa guy, but like, I like some guys on their team. I like Kyle Shanahan. Like, I, I think, I think that Sean McVay got overhyped by certain people on this show. And it's actually Kyle Shanahan. That's the more impressive person. And, and it's actually Sean McVay that comes from his coaching tree. So uh, anyway, but it's the fan base. I just, I cannot stand that that fan base and i don't Ryan, would you go to the game with me no <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i have never gone to a 49ers game because i honestly like believe that they just stab people in this don't room. do it i went to one their tailgate felt like they were preparing for a war 
it was uncomfortable. <laughs> like I have never seen a stranger group of fans. I, I would be more comfortable every minute I was there. I didn't wear any Seahawks gear. I didn't wear anything. It was a Thursday night game, like 2012. Now, you, if you went with Cashman, I think that would be perfect because Josh, like, no one's going to get really mad at Josh. He's just, like, the de-escalator of every situation. Like, the the cherubic, like, tall, you know, creative. I mean, he just will will be fine. Is he, is he going to come out with a video? Have you been talking to him at all? Are we, he kind of teased that he might be. Yeah, I did text him about that, and he he the, his only response was "Oh God." So I I don't know I don't know if that implies he's going to do it or not. But that guy, you have to understand, when he does make those videos, just so people know, he will literally stay up till like five a.m. multiple nights in a row. So it's like a it's like it's burdensome on top of his work schedule. Yeah, no, I I, I assume the Seahawks website like did a total knockoff of his video, like his style of video. Josh, did they really? Yeah, they did like proving everyone wrong who ripped on them this year. Like he should send them a bill or something. I want to get into some patron questions in a second. Um, before I do, I, Dana, you said something about the division rival playing mm-hmm. people three times in a row and you said they were 13 and five. Like, it was some number like, that. I, like I that. think that's what it was. So the interesting thing there is like, that's actually still five times, which is five out of 18, which is a quarter, like 25% where the team that had lost tw- two times won the third time. So that's actually a pretty good percentage by my count. The other thing is Aaron Levine just tweeted out since 2000 divisional opponents have met three times in a season, 31 times, only six of them won all three. Oh, so that's a different twist. It doesn't mean that they yeah. lost in the playoffs. They could have lost some, like could have been one-on-one, but still, out of 31 times that teams have played in the division three times in a season, only six times have teams won all three. So interesting. Other news that I want to put out there, and then we'll get into some patron questions. Injury report. Interesting. It's looking like Ryan Neal is trending towards playing. I think that matters. Um, hopefully he's healthy enough to really contribute. Um and Tyler Lockett looks like he's playing. Abraham Lucas looks like he's playing. Uh, Tariq Woolen looks like he's playing. Um, so, yeah, I think mostly good news there on the injury front. Okay. Um, let's transition to take some, take some uh, patron questions. Um, I can ask those if you want, unless, Dana, you've got them in front of you. Uh, I will take them. So no, I, I can get it. If you give me one, sorry, I didn't yeah, realize I was okay. gonna, if so, you give me one second, I can do that. Yeah. While so, she's well. doing that, please. Uh, if you haven't already give the show a like smash the like button, as you're supposed to say, and then subscribe to the channel and go to patreoncom slash Hawk blogger, sign up right now, get immediate access to the Slack channel where the best conversation about the Seahawks is going on. You will not find a better place. Hundreds of other Seahawks fans who are all nice. And if they're not, they get booted. Share the latest, greatest information about what's going on with this team, and you'll make friends. I can't promise it, but I think you probably will, And as long as you're a nice person. And uh, all the proceeds go to charity. So patreon.com slash hawkblogger plus you get to ask us questions that we try to answer on the show. So Dana. Mm-hmm. Hit us with a couple of questions. All right. I'm going to give this one first one to Jeff because um, I know he's been really into this. So this is from Braxton. Who was the draft prospect 
who is lesser known that you want Seattle to take in 2023? Is that with the fifth pick or with the next pick? Didn't give a specific one. Probably just within the draft, maybe. Um, Brian actually brought up a really good one who I really like on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Uh, His name's Brian Branch. He's a defensive back at Alabama. I think he would line up great with that second pick. And he's been a really good, versatile player who's like a nickel defender and he can play safety. And he's just like a pure, good football player. And like Alabama, like blue chip kind of guy. Like I think he's the kind of guy you just stick in this defense and they're just automatically better. And the fifth pick, I'm still going to need to dig into that because there's so much to learn. And I don't think there's any like low profile players. Another one is, I've been saying this for years, uh, we, we need a center. Uh, there's a guy from Minnesota. There's a guy from Ohio State. But the guy from Minnesota is like, he'll be at the Senior Bowl. He was just like, in the Ferris College All-Pro, he was like the All-Pro center last year. I think he's a guy that we've seen what happened. Austin Blythe completely regressed in the second half of the year. And Brian and Mina were talking about it on Twitter this week. It's been really what's hampered this offense is their interior protection. And same things happened with Ethan Posick couple years ago where he started really well in the first eight games then he fell off and the offense fell off and just since max hunger it's been a yearly thing so with that high second round pick that second round picks the fifth pick of the second round it's a sweet spot for a center right there i would love to see them do this finally and stop fucking around with this important position that's been ruining their offense for years you're on mute dana Yes, I'm so sorry. Um, Evan, this one is for you. Why is Jason Myers sticking with the white cleats? That one's from John. Sorry, look at us. We're all again. Um, that's <laughs> funny because I didn't eat <laughs> because I didn't even know that. I didn't know he changed his cleats at all. <laughs> I don't it's a good question. I don't know. Did you because see Pete Carroll's did you see Pete Carroll's uh, baseball hat? How did you feel about that? Oh, I like a little uh, – I like when Pete goes a little gangster on us. Like like the whole Big Balls Pete era, like Pete not giving a fuck. Like I'm pro that Pete. So. Did you guys see the video of him on a scooter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. That's fantastic. I Like we all dreamed and like that that would happen and like, it, you know, it probably isn't. And then all of a sudden it absolutely is. He's he's scooting around the VMAC. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, Brian, this one is for you. It's from Troy. It says, which one is more likely? Canines, um, excuse me, canines changes to his rushing approach after halftime of the KC game will be enough to allow the Seahawks offense to rely on him more against the stingy Niners defense. Or a third wide receiver, young Johnson Treadwell, emerges to allow Geno to take advantage of the weak group of the Niners have at cornerback. Well, I love that question because it's it's wise. Mm-hmm. I, I don't – I'll change it a little bit. So, one, I think that Kenneth Walker actually had more success against the Niners' run defense than people realize in the last matchup. Eight of his 12 runs against the Niners were for three yards or more. So, he was actually being effective. A three-yard run against this defense is effective. That is a good run. That is a good gain. As just a case in point, I did research for my article last night and I was looking for explosive runs. Explosive runs are 12 yards or more. And I was looking over the last three weeks since they last played. And I was like, the 49ers actually had slid in a few places. So I was like, oh, how are they looking against that? And I couldn't find them. And it was because they haven't given up any. 
They've given up zero. The, the, they've given up zero runs of longer than nine yards in the last three weeks. I mean, the Seahawks give up a nine-yard run every other like basically play. So it is crazy how good that run defense is. Still, I think you got to start there with Kenneth Walker and start by trying to to get that going. But the thing that has changed is the 49ers pass defense has been plummeting the last few weeks. They gave up 270 yards, three touchdowns to uh, Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. They gave up 365 yards and three touchdowns to Jarrett Stidham. They gave up a 77-yard touchdown pass to David Blau. Uh, their cornerbacks have been sinking. Their safeties have been sinking. Um, their pass defense, 27th in DVOA. So I don't think it's as much about can Kate Johnson or a third person do it. I think it's about whether DK Metcalf can dominate. He has to be great. Tyler Lockett, as much as I love him playing hurt, I think you just gotta, you need DK to be a difference maker in this game. There's no way around it. I find the fascin—I find it fascinating the the hate that DK has gotten from a lot of fans this season. It's like he's a thousand yard receiver. Let, let's not let's back off to him just a little bit. Um, yeah, he pouts, but I think that's funny. I mean, we put up with it from Sherman forever, so why not put up with him? But all right, um, Jeff, this one is for you, and then I have a good one for you, Evan. But this one first for Jeff um, is from Imani. Geno Smith signs elsewhere. What do you do at quarterback? Um, they have a lot of options. Uh, they, there's a, I'm working on an article right now. So I've been going through the league and looking at positions. There are a lot of guys who've had similar, if they want to try to find the next Geno Smith or someone who's played similar to him, like Jacoby Brissett's out there. Derek Carter will be available. Jimmy Garoppolo, like guys who are similar at that. I think if they do lose Geno Smith, they should probably draft a quarterback in the first round. I I think the still the most prudent course of action would be to just bring Gino back, but we can talk about that at a different time. But to me, if you lose Gino, I would draft the quarterback fifth overall. Yeah, I think that that's what a lot of people are assuming, and hopefully we'll know that beforehand. Um, all right, let's see. This one is from Nick. Evan, this one is for you. If Gino brings us a win on Saturday, does that change your opinion on how much we should be paying him potentially? Uh, it gives me a little bit more confidence in maybe his ceiling and what he can do in the playoffs because playoff games are a whole different level of, of pressure and, and performing in the moment, but I would not change significantly what I would pay him. I still think the ballpark number, if you're to extend them over three or four years is probably in the low, low thirties range, um, 30 to 33, 34 ish, maybe. Um, but I don't think the outcome of one singular game, no matter how emotionally exciting it may feel should, it should change that number significantly. All right, Brian, um, this is from Zach. Um, there was a good one from Alexander. It was more of a statement because I think we already talked about it, but Alexander said, is Pete Carroll playing mind games and tricking the 49ers into losing? We've seen him do it before, so I think he could probably do it again. All right, so this one is from Zach, Brian. The um, only pretty game I've watched was the Hawks game. He didn't look too good, to be honest. Do you think with so much game tape on him now, Hawks can take advantage? Are you talking about Brock Purdy? Yes. Okay, I missed that. So I'm going to give you answers to both those questions, by the way, even the comment. Um, okay. So I think Brock Purdy's been playing really well. 
I looked at him a little bit more in preparation for this game. And interestingly, he is heavily middle of the field focused in where he throws. He is short and intermediate um, in that. He is someone who really actually struggles when under pressure. A lot of most quarterbacks are lesser when they're under pressure, but a lot of folks haven't been able to put him under pressure. I think that that's going to be a key, key, key thing. The Seahawks only blitzed Purdy two times in that first game. One of those two times, he threw it directly to Quandre Diggs and he dropped. And it was like, he didn't need to throw it. The blitz wasn't even close to getting to him, but he made a rookie throw right there. So I'm interested in seeing if they blitz more often in this game. We have seen Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, Uchenna Nuosu, a number of guys, even Bruce Irvin, start to show some more effectiveness in pass rush. So if they can bring pressure in this game, um, and I see a chat here from Tommy Eden about nickel blitz with Bryant. That's actually true. Uh, Kobe Bryant has been doing that more often. He got a sack in this last game. So I think Seahawks willingness to go, people talk about like, ah, play fast and loose on offense. Defense is to me where the Seahawks need to be more aggressive than they have been before and really get after them. So that's, that's one. The other relative to like Pete playing mind games, I will just say this game reminds me of the time when the Seahawks had like Robert Turbin and Marshawn Lynch coming back to play running back. And it was for the division title at home. We spent, do you remember this, Evan? That's, that's the game we got doxxed from, by the way. We spent the whole week just being like, it would be humiliating if the 49ers don't win this game like this is like there's no reason the Seahawks should be anywhere close to competitive and the 49ers hold up that fucking game as if it's like this amazing moment when they stopped like uh what was his name the tight end Hollister who Jacob Hollister like Jacob Hollister at half yard line like that's this amazing moment like you beat a little kid like we were like nothing then and and that game, I thought we were going to get blown out. So, so yes, it was at home. Maybe that makes a little bit of a difference. But this has similar feel to me as like, okay, I don't think we should be in this game, but let's just see. Let's just see. I mean, the expectations, if you're a Niners fan, is is Super Bowl appearance, right? Win. For success. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they are the most talented roster in the NFL by a, probably a good margin. And yeah, they've lost two straight quarterbacks, but Brock Purdy's playing better than two previous ones. And he's suddenly looking like Mr. Relevant. And yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know if you're a Niners fan, how you feel anything but content if, if they don't go super far deep in the playoffs. Yeah. I do think it's going to be fun to watch them in the off season and that now new quarterback battle that they will have again they just can't get away from it can they they just can't get away from it at all well it's going to be interesting to see if Brock Purdy can I I think there's a lot of interesting storylines on this game I think I think San Francisco's pass rush against Seattle's offensive line is going to be a big one if Seattle can hold up and give Geno time and and dice up their coverage then we might have a legit shot but the second competing storyline for me is does Brock Purdy continue to play this well? Because he has like 13 touchdowns. And mm-hmm. I think it's zero interceptions. And like he has a pretty decently high completion rate. He's attacking the field. Does that continue? Does he have one poor game? Could it change? Uh, if it does, you know, we could be in for a real game. Yeah. 
going to be interesting. Um, Brian, I think you kind of answered this, but I want um, Jeff's take on it too. So Derek asked, which position group will have to be the X factor for the Seahawks to have their best chance of winning against San Francisco? Um, Brian, I think you had said you thought it was defense. So Jeff, do you agree? Yeah, I think it's the defensive line edge rush. Well, in the new defense, it's the edge rushers, not the defensive line. But yeah, I think the reason the defense has spiked and we've seen it all year is the pass rush. And Mm -hmm. Daryl Taylor the last three weeks has been a totally different player. Uh, Boye Mafe is a guy who I've been pleasantly surprised with how he's looked. And now he's starting to flash a lot more. It was mostly on run defense. He met a pass rush rep last week was as good as they've seen. And the other, the other obviously big matchup will be the offensive tackles. Uh, Nick Bosa has been just destroying the NFL. He's by far the best defensive player in the league this year. And he was pretty dominant against both cross and Lucas last time. And, it's a tough ass to play. No one's really stopped him. So obviously if they can hold up against Bosa, they'll look different. And Evan will like this, but Geno Smith is a huge factor in this game. Geno's been pretty bad, not horrible, but his play has just kind of gone on a downhill trajectory. And the turnover worthy plays have been really up. And Brian talked about it earlier. Like you can't turn the ball over against these guys. And Geno's been really lucky. There's been a lot of like interceptions dropped and, that's a great call out. There were yeah. some poor, there were some poor decisions, especially some poor throws in this Rams game. Awful, that man. that if we if we want to be in this game and just fighting for a shot, Gino can't play like that. No, and Gino I know was, it's a high standard. I get it, but like, well, Gino was at an MVP level in the second half. He looked like a bridge quarterback, and then at the times worse. So this is going to be an interesting data point for the Seahawks moving forward. I agree with what. Evan said earlier, this can't like swing your view, but they have a big decision to make. It's probably the most important decision that John Schneider's had to make in a long, long time what to do with this situation. This is a fascinating data point against the best defense in the NFL. So do you guys think, though, that that has anything to do with the second half of Gino kind of struggling a little bit is the fact that no one knew what to expect from him for the first six to ten, you know, games. And now they know exactly who he is and how he plays. And so that, you know, it's making his life a little tougher. Plus, I do think, you know, with some of the injuries along the line a little bit, there's been some changeover. But I just feel like and I hate to say, oh, well, there's tape on him now. I hate that phrase because, you know, football is football. And most people, you know, most professional people don't necessarily need tape in order to play well. But it does show kind of some consistencies, some inconsistencies, that sort of thing in the type of play that you have. And, and because now no one, I mean, he hadn't played in how long. And then they finally got to see kind of some of that. Do you think that that was a huge part of it? I can start. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that necessarily. I think we just learned a lot about Gino as a player. And there's a lot of quarterbacks like this. I think Gino is the kind of player that needs a lot of things working around him to operate. And I think mostly, like, other than the turnover plays, I think once the running game started going away and once the pass protection, most notably the interior pass protection, and what Gino was doing really well at the beginning of the year was he was moving up the pocket and he was getting outside the pocket, extending third downs, things that Russell is still really bad at. And Gino was really good at this. And once that pass protection, specifically with center and right guard, combined with the running game falling apart, it really put an emphasis on Gino to have to play differently, and he's just – not good at some of those things. And once other things went away, so did Gino. So what we saw with Jared Goff in so many of those years, like when Goff had everything going right for him and there was no pressure, he would dice up the Seahawks. But when people got in his face, 
he would be a different quarterback. And I think that's kind of where Gino is, which is fine. Like that's most of the quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't know, Brian, if you think differently, but that was my read. I think it's a little bit more of a mix. So Mm -hmm. I think that you have to assume that teams started to identify what Gino's favorite plays and throws were and start to try to limit those. So I I assume that that's just always going to be the case. It's like a pitcher going through the order, the third, fourth, fifth time, whatever it's going to be like second or third time, I should say. Uh, and so he's going back and people are having a little bit more tape on him. So I do think that's a factor, Dana, but the biggest factor by far for me was the performance, of the offensive line. I think the offensive line degraded significantly. I think the tackles went from very good to average. And I think that the interior line went from average to pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And that meant that to, to Jess' point, Ken Walker got less, like they got less rushing yards. It meant that Gino, who a lot of his throws, if you look in the beginning of the year, a lot of his big moments was him navigating the pocket, stepping up against Detroit, this against uh, New Orleans. He did this, like all of those big plays. When he tried to do that in the last half of the season, he was getting sacked or had a hand in his face, couldn't really throw cleanly. And so... Yeah, that's that's why I think I think that's probably the biggest factor. And then this neither one of these have been Patreon questions. I think they just I'm just curious more than yeah. anything. When you look at Gino, you know, they talk about rookies, how they make a huge jump from year one to year two. I almost feel like we might see that from Gino again next year. And he said something to that effect in his press conference that he thought now that he's been in there a whole year and there's no question marks going into the off season that he, you know, would learn even more, which to me indicated that he really wanted to stay in Seattle. That, that was the indication I got from that. But also I'm wondering if you guys think that he will, I mean, could he even be better or are the Geno Smith that we have is who we have. And you know, I ain't so bad kids, but you know, do you think he could get better? Uh, either one I a hundred percent think he could get better. I do too. I think okay. that that's, I don't think that that's what most people believe. I think that look at the person. This is a guy who's been, who's gotten significantly better over like eight years without ever playing. And that's by listening and learning. Now he's played a full season for the first time in all that time. He is smart. This is not like an idiot. He, 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 when he watches film, he knows what he's looking for. He is someone who knows how to check things at the line. He's going to identify more things that he struggled with. I think if given the right coaching and the support, he can really get better. It just means that he's going to also need some of these other parts of the team to get better as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, there is only like one or two others, and I think we've covered most of them. So that should be it for Patreon. Awesome. So head over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up now, get access to the Slack channel, and you too can ask us questions. All right, guys and gal. Um I want to get into this matchup a little bit more. I want to talk about who are the players that have to stand out in this game. You talked about position groups, Dana. Give me two names that have to play well, or if they play well, Seattle's got the best chance to win. Um, One, I think you already said DK. I think DK needs to take this as his game. He needs to 
bully those guys, the the cornerbacks of San Francisco, especially with the drop-off that they've had, which isn't, I mean, it's a drop-off. You guys, they're the best defense in football. We get it. But still, the drop-off that they've had. Um, and I think that he needs to make that his own. Tyler's going to get his catches. Tyler's going to get his runs. He's going to look like Tyler, and that's what we love about him. But I really think that DK has got to literally take control of it of this part of his, of the game. Um, I think if, cause I'm gonna take one from each side. So on the defensive side of the ball, I love that Al Woods is back. I love that, you know, that some of those players have been doing good, but I want to see chaos out of Taylor. I want to see pure chaos out of Taylor because you said in your great article, the tail of the tape today, that, you know, he just panics in the, in the brush, you know, in a blitz, in a bull rush, he just, he panics. And so in order to get him up off his game, which will then allow Tyreek and Quandre and Mike Jackson, whoever the hell else is back there, right. To be able to pick him off. And I think that that is going to be those, those shortened opportunities for them is going to be huge. So if I have to pick two, one from each side, it's going to be Taylor and DK. Jeff. Um, well, my answer probably emphasizes just the mismatch in this game and Brian, you're going to hate it, but it's Cody Barton. And mm. I think Barton against San Francisco in some of the games, he's looked awful against the run. And if you watch Brock Purdy, the, the one guy he's really enabled or really enacted in that passing game is George Kittle. And George Kittle destroyed the Seahawks in the last game. Sometimes it's again, one of them was against Quandre, once, sometimes he's against a linebacker. But the thing Kyle Shanahan's known for in what he does is he puts crazy stress on linebackers. KJ Wright's talked about it. Bobby Wagner's talked about it. Uh, when they drafted Jordan Brooks, that was like the joke everyone was making that he was going to dominate Jordan Brooks. And Jordan Brooks is out, he's not playing. And Barton has weirdly played better since Brooks has been out and he moved to middle linebacker. It doesn't play great, but he looked better. Tanner Muse is going to play. It's going to be a tough assignment for him too. But Barton, both in the run and in the pass game, it's a huge assignment. He has to be competent. If he's a disaster, that could be huge for Kittle. That could be huge for McCaffrey. Uh, he needs to have a good game or else Shanahan could have a field day against the middle of the field. And with Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, where they all eat up the middle of the field, I think him and Ryan Neal or Abram, whoever plays, it's a huge task on those guys. So it's not a comfortable thing for us as Seahawks fans. It's probably why I thought this spread was going to be like 15 and a half. But if Seahawks are going to win. He needs to be competent or even good. And that's scary. Uh, offense, it's pretty straightforward. I think Kenneth Walker. And Brian talked about the degree of difficulty he's going up against. This defense doesn't give up 12-yard runs. And um, that's... I remember the 2011 season, there was a year like they hadn't given up a touchdown and Marshawn Lynch was like the one guy who scored a touchdown and just sort of reunited the team in the game. And when you watch the San Francisco game and our offense was pretty much a disaster against them the last time. And what you can't do against these guys is you just can't let them get into obvious pass rush situations. So I think if you, I hadn't watched a game with the Seahawks all year, once they're down hit, I was like, we're fucked. And that was basically this whole game when we played them last time and that's i haven't felt that way since russell was in some of his slumps and he was so bad on third down gino's been pretty solid but he's tailed off so i think walker needs to put them in good situations and if he can help sort of break them out of those obvious third down passing situations where bosa and armstead and all those guys that like chris corkerek or that guy's name is who just enables every pass rusher can get after our offensive line which has been a disaster in the interior 
I think Walker needs to either break something or put them in situations all game because if not, if it's just Gino dropping back, I don't think they have a chance to win like that. It's really those are interesting choices for the two of you. I'm going to go a little more chalky. So Gino Smith, like point blank, the Seahawks do not win this game if Gino Smith does not play well. And I, I think that it, almost everything else could go right. And if Geno Smith doesn't play well, I don't think they win this game. So I think he has got to be at his best or close to his best. And then you guys have touched on it a little bit, but I would, I would call Charles Cross out. Like he needs to be competent. He cannot be a, a total disaster against this, this team. But let me ask you two a question. You know that Nick Bosa is the, the leading sacker on the 49ers do you know and if you already know don't say it but do, do you know just uh, who's the second leading sacker and how many sacks that person has in san francisco yeah no idea i should know but i don't let me give you some choices would you guess it's like arik armstead would you guess it is uh let's see samson epicom would you guess it's javon kinlaw uh, Carrie Hyder. Kenny, those maybe Kinlaw, maybe. Yeah, someone Jeff. weird. Someone weird. Their defensive line coach turns these guys. I know. How so many good. sacks do you think Arik Armstead has? Five. Mm, I think three. Is it? He has zero. Ooh, no kidding. Really? Wow. How many sacks do you think the second leading? So, so Bosa has eighteen and a half. How many does the second leading sacker on the the Niners have five five wow. so the second second leading sacker is samson have become oh. and then it's like charles omenihue kinlaw i mean people i see we've got a 49er fan in the chat and he's being respectful so he's welcome <laughs> to stay as long as he's talking game and not talking smack <laughs> I don't care that Javon Kinlaw's back. Like Javon Kinlaw's trash. Uh, he, he, there was a lot of hype around him. He has not lived up to that. Yes, he was injured, but he's not. He's not great. Armstead's a guy that has been like. I mean, he and DeForest Buckner were the defense at a time, and it was shocking to me to find out he's got zero sacks. Um, I think that doesn't mean that I th like. I think people forget when Bosa was out injured not this year, but in past years, that pass rush was actually crap. It was one of the worst mm. pass rushes. And I think that there's evidence that the other guys aren't so strong in that regard. So this is why to me, like Nick Bosa, whoever he's matched up against has got to do well. I think if you need to put two guys on him all game, if you need to do some max protect there, so be it. But, you know, I... I don't know, man. Um, and I see this comment that he he's back in week 15. Rick Armstead uh, played in he played in week one, two, four, and thirteen through eighteen. So he's had three hundred and forty nine snaps this year and has zero sacks. So <laughs> he has not just played two games. Anyway, so yeah, I think that. I think that you've got to find a way to slow Bosa down, which is not an easy task. But if you can do that, I think you give a chance for Gino to be successful. So, yeah, those are my two. 
And wow, like, how do you attack this defense? I'm curious. Like, are you guys thinking that this needs to be, they need to be go down the field? Are you thinking they need to go, like, it feels to me like swing passes, screen passes, those kinds of passes are just going to get eaten up. It feels like running plays that are wide runs are going to get eaten up because they are a speed defense. It feels like you got to run straight ahead and it feels like you've got to take seam shots and you've got to like push the ball a little bit downfield in this game. Is that where you guys are? Here, here's my only caveat to that. Is, isn't it supposed to be a flipping monsoon while they're playing? Yes. That is going to change everything. You, you know, there are going to be players slipping all over. It's going to be a muddy, gross mess on that field, right? That field is not always the greatest as it is. It is going to be, you know, people losing their footing. So I would think the logic tells you to go run game, run game, run game, run game, because you don't want, you know, people, the ball slipping through, you know, wide receivers hands or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think that, and this is the only comment I'll make, because I know Jeff will look into this much deeper than I will. Everything is going to depend on the weather and that changes things up for both sides for both teams tremendously. Yeah. What do you think about that, Jeff? I mean, one, how do you think that they should go about this? And then what do you think the, how do you think the weather? I'm glad you brought that up, Dana. I wanted to talk about that too. How's the weather going to affect this game? Um, well, number one, I completely agree with Brian's first point. Um, if you watch Shane Waldron's game plan, like we praised that one against the jets. I thought it was awesome. Shane Waldron needs to pull a game plan out of his ass this week. Cause last week I thought their game plan was pretty bad. And a lot of the things the Seahawks don't do well are those swing passes and they're horrible at screens. They're awful at screens, even with the new quarterback. And if you throw the ball like in the flat or you throw the ball, those swing passes against Bosa or these linebackers and Greenlaw and Fred Warner are both incredible. They got no shit. The only one who's like really successfully moved the ball against them was weirdly the Raiders with Jared Stidham. I remember texting like a couple of people like, I don't believe what I'm watching. They were just moving the ball up and down the field. And it was it was really a lot of it was through the air. We don't have Devontae Adams, but again, Brian called out DK. Brian called out Lockett, some of the tight ends. Colby Parkinson's had some huge catches. He, he can have a good game. We were going to have to do those seam shots. But, yeah, it's hard not to think of what Dana said. The weather, the weather might eliminate that entirely. And it's supposed to be like a monsoon-level game. And I, I went online today, and the spread dropped. And it was 10.5 for San Francisco. They opened that. It's now 9.5. And a lot of it apparently is because of weather. And San Francisco, they had Trey Lance. They lost to the Bears week one in a similar sort of rainstorm. And the Bears won two games the rest of the season, three maybe. <laughs> they were that first pick, so they didn't win. So if there's anything that can sort of negate San Francisco, maybe it's that. But you figure if the game becomes a monsoon and it's just run the ball, you figure that plays right to San Francisco's strengths and Seattle's interior line is screwed and they're run stopping. But maybe that Chicago game is the sign that, and maybe that's a Trey Lance thing, who knows, but maybe that's a sign they can be neutralized by weather because they lost to the worst team in the NFL in a similar weather situation. I want to say something about that because that's a great call out. How bizarre is it that this 49ers team, that two of their losses, one was to, was to Chicago, the other was to Denver. 11 and Atlanta. And Atlanta. Why? But... Dan we would have South the third pick in the ass. draft. We would have the third pick in the draft if this 49ers team beat that Broncos team. That is bizarre. 
Those assholes. I hate them even more now. It was like an inside job or something like that. Uh, but, but yeah, so, so here's the thing about weather that's fascinating. So, right, rainy weather. Let's assume rain or even if it's subsided that it's going to be soggy grass or it's going to like footing is going to not be great. Immediate thought there is run game becomes more important. Physical, physicality becomes more important. And you think it may be advantage 49ers, right? Because they're definitely the more physical team, especially on the offensive line or at least with Trent Williams. If it's windy, you think, okay, that's going to affect the passing game. It's also going to kind of turn things back to the run game. So both those things probably favor the 49ers if they happen. But the, the counter to that is the 49ers, as much as they are physical, they're physical largely because they are fast. And so their linebackers are lightning quick. Even their defensive line largely is predicated on speed more than power. So I think their ability to pursue changes. I think their ability to get traction and drive and get to the backfield changes. So I don't know. I, I would be, I would not assume that that's going to be the advantage for San Francisco. Generally bad weather just mucks up games and makes them a little bit closer. It also increases the odds of turnovers. So, you know, but also fluky plays. So we might need some of those. So like, I think the weather could be a big part of this game. We will see what happens there. The other matchup that I think is really interesting in this game is like, it's, it's not just the defensive line. That's one handed. Like we talk about Nick Bosa's like their whole pass rush. Essentially the offensive line is Trent Williams. And then some guys and Trent Williams is amazing, but Mike McClinchy is not. And Daryl Taylor, I looked it up today. His pressure rate from the left side is 18%. His sack rate's like 13. It's like crazy. He's way more effective from the left side. And so I do think the matchup between Daryl Taylor and if they put him against McClinchy could be a key matchup in this game. Um <laughs> Here we are, you know, at the end of towards the end of the show. I'm like talking myself into this game being like, like there should be reason the CX can play. I mean, the 49ers have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, uh, CMC. They've got, you know, the defensive player of the year and Bosa. They've got so many players that are better than almost any player that's on the Seahawks. There might be five or six players that are better than any player on the entire Seahawks roster. They're that good. But there are these, there are these paths. This is not a this this is not a matchup that I see no hope for the Seahawks. I think if this was a non-divisional matchup, I'd have less hope. The fact that Pete Carroll if he was, if this was the Sean McVay matchup where he's had so much trouble over the years versus the Kyle Shanahan matchup, which he has dominated for many years. And it wasn't because he had a talent advantage. He had a talent disadvantage almost every year against Kyle Shanahan and still managed to beat him. Makes me think that this could happen. It would, it would be bizarre, but I think that it's not crazy that this could happen. Okay. Before we get into predictions, anything else that you guys thought about this? You know, we should savor this moment now because most likely mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about 
draft picks and off season <laughs> soon enough, but anything else, uh, reasons for hope, reasons of, of intrigue heading into this game. I think, you know, it's kind of where I started the show tonight. I'm just so shocked and happy that we're here and I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna. I know I get called that quite a bit, but here's the thing. It's just like, really? I mean, what the hell? I, I, training camp we were like i picked them to win five games for god's sake like it was just it was going to be a disaster it was going to be so hard to watch these games they were going to be you know uncompetitive i hate to say that and i'm going to miss this game i'm going to be on a damn plane why because i didn't think we were making the playoffs <laughs> and i sure didn't think that we'd be on a saturday so that made it even worse but to me i don't care if we win this game like literally have zero. I would love to beat the Niners and have it be the Niners, but I don't care who they were playing. I'm still shocked as shit that we even made it into the playoffs. And so I'm so happy with that and how good that is. So I want people to kind of keep that in mind before they completely turn on the players like they did in the last game and they start getting all wound up. I know fans will fan and I don't ever want to tell anyone how to fan, but at the same time, oh my God, we have gotten so much more out of this team than we ever thought we would this season. I am happy. If we go home Saturday night, I am happy. It's okay. Jeff, how about you? Um, Yeah, that's a tough speech to follow. But um, no, in a good way, Dana, in a good way. Um, I think just, Brian, you've done a really good job. Last night you were tweeting out stats. And like it's one of those things where like I was refreshing my phone. I wanted more. And really, like some of the guys on the defense are ascending at – the strangest time of year and maybe that carries into the playoffs, but Daryl Taylor's playing his best ball. Quandre Diggs is the number one safety in the NFL. And I think 91 PFF grade. Um, Dan shouted him out earlier. He's been, he saved, he saved the season. If he doesn't make that play, the Ram, the lines are in the playoffs and Seahawks aren't playing this game. So Quandre, Boye Mafe, uh, Quentin Jefferson's pressure numbers have been a lot better. Um, he's put up, So some of these guys are ascending at the best time of year, even Barton, Mm -hmm. I thought he's played weirdly mm -hmm. better since he's moved to middle linebacker. I don't expect much. So maybe some of this carries over because you can look at Kenneth Walker's played his like complete all around game has gone much better since the second half of that Kansas city game. And I think that's just kind of made them into the team they sort of want to be. And that's the team we're more used to seeing when they were mostly in the first half, like passing and not much else. So hopefully that can carry over because that six game losing streak, they just looked like a gutless team and, if a gutless team plays San Francisco, who's won 10 in a row, it's going to be the game we thought it would have been a couple of weeks ago. It's going to be a joke. So I hope this defensive carries over. Maybe the weather helps. Maybe these pass rushers are for real, and maybe we got to look somewhere else on defense. And maybe Dan's right. Quandre, it could have been the injury that we overlooked. and He's looked like a totally different player the last three weeks. Um, so that's what you're hoping for. Um, you're hoping this ascending guy is Mafe, Taylor, Diggs, if that carries over into the game and you can see the Seahawks players be their best players, then maybe there's hope. I still don't envision them winning. I still think I, – I can't go back to what Brian said. They're what I call a fully matured roster. They're where we want this team to be once they hit on those draft picks. They've probably got – we talk about blue-chip players all the time and the Jamal Adams trade and all this stuff. Who's the Seahawks blue-chip player? Who's their best player? Is it DK? Is it Lockett? Is it Diggs? They have the best tight end or the second best tight end in the league, the best running back in the league, the best defensive end in the league, probably the best linebacker in the league. Those are blue chip guys. We were hoping to get one next draft and maybe we do, but 
were mostly redshift and rookies. And I saw Mike Renner of PFF say this was like an all-time draft class. So maybe those guys, maybe they shine, maybe Pete Carroll pulls something. But yeah, it's exciting to see how these guys get a shot to play. And we'll get another evaluation on what they can do against the best team in the league. I want to come back. So I actually have a couple more things to start to talk about. If you guys can stick around a little bit longer, um, then we'll get to predictions. But I want to come back to something Dana said earlier in the show about how loose they were. So, so remind me if I forget to come back to this, but just continuing this thread, we've spent most of the time talking about how can they win, right? There's another way they can win without actually winning the game. And I think that's part of what uh, you all are talking about. And it is a, it is a victory already that they are in this position. I think that's what I'm hearing from both of you. And part of why that's a victory is we've got six rookie starters and this will be their first experience playing in the playoffs. And they're playing the, probably the best team in the NFL, definitely the hottest team in the NFL. And I would say almost definitely the most talented team in the NFL. Uh, Bills might have something to say about that, but probably. So no matter what happens, I mean, think about, Think about the 2012 experience for the Seahawks and what that was like for Bobby and Russ and those guys and their first playoff. This is Geno's first playoff experience. So it's not just the rookies, right? It's Shelby Harris's first playoff experience. Like a lot of these guys are getting their first taste and it is different and it does matter. And it's going to be, they're going to see and feel how it ramps up. And so that's, that's great. I think that if they get in there and they get the doors blown off them, that's never great. That's just not a, that's not a good thing. And so what at, at like, I would not call it a minimum, but like what I'm hoping for that I could feel okay with at peace with is that this Seahawks team fights that they have that spine that we have seen lacking at times that they hit and don't just get hit. And I mean on offense and on defense, that they don't look like a deer in headlights, even if things are going wrong, but that they look poised and they look like they look fierce, right? They don't have, like they might not have everything to back it up, but they need, like if they can do that, and I'm seeing a, a, a comment here, from a wonderfully named user, um, what the smell that Gino's built right. I I agree with this. What I haven't seen from Gino in recent weeks is the brain to go with the heart, and we need them both. And so, part of what I loved about the buildup of Gino's season is that he was the brain at quarterback that I have been wanting frankly, since Hasselback left, like Russ has some things that he does well, but there's a lot of things that were mind numbingly unnecessarily difficult. And Gino was like, he was checking down. He was throwing the ball away. He was limited. Like I miss that. So I want to see him play wise, like be the wise person that I think he is. And I want to see him play with the heart that seems like it's always there. I mean, this is a guy that ran 25 yards, got absolutely cheap shotted by Jalen Ramsey. I thought he might've broken his collarbone. He gets up without missing a play. I think I saw today. He was the only quarterback in the NFL to play every snap for his team this year. So 
I want those things to happen. I want them to look these bullies in the eye and I want them to punch back. That's what I want. Whatever the score ends up, if that's the case, you know, I'll live to see another day. But let me turn it to this conversation around looseness. So the videos you've seen, like Gino's dancing, DK, Pete's on scooters. You hear, I heard, you know, whether it's Diggs or Nuosu or whoever was talking about, like, yeah, I think Nuosu was like, the other guys are already in Cancun. My, what I kind of am wondering about, and I want to hear from you guys where you, are they, are they taking this game? Like, do they think they can win? Are they like playing this game like to win? Or are they just like happy they're here and they're already planning their vacation? That's what I can't quite tell. Like, are they like, Yep, we made it. We got our playoff check and then we're going to be in Cancun next week. Or are they like what's what do you think the what do you think is behind this looseness, Dana? Since you brought it up, I'll start with you. I think it's a number of things. It's one that they proved to themselves that they come back at the end of the season after losing so many games in a row. I think that it is they're having a really good time. That this is a lot of fun that there's not you know, these giant axes hanging over their heads and, you know, the failures or whatever you want to call it that the fan base might throw at them. And I think the looseness is that in their heads, they know they're not really supposed to be there necessarily. You know, it would be, I don't think, I don't think that they're blowing it off. I don't think that they've, you know, are just thinking, oh, I get to go on vacation pretty soon. I think that it is purely and generally what we have seen from Pete Carroll teams for years, just not the last four or so years, is they're having a hell of a good time playing football and realizing that they are all getting better as a group. I think they're just having a great time. And to be honest with you, I would much rather have a team that acts like that before this type of a game than a Belichick team where they look wound as tight as a drum because I just think that that brings a different energy and excitement to a game. And, and maybe that's because I'm a Seahawks fan and that's what I'm used to seeing. But I, I just really, I don't think that they've just blown it up. I don't think that's it at all. I almost wonder if they believe that they could actually maybe beat these guys because they've played them so many times. I think they're just having a great time. That's just my opinion. anyway. Jeff, do you have a thought on this? Yeah, um, I think what Pete's trying to do is trying to get us, uh, us against the world thing. And I think that's probably the messaging this week. I think based on he's kind of even said the, the mind games we're talking about, like, oh, we're playing San Francisco. Like, we're, we're in trouble. Like, I think that's just part of the messaging. It's how he's trying to rally the team. And I think Dana makes a really good point. Uh, there's just the Belichick thing. The Seahawks were kind of like that when they lost to the Rams in the playoffs. And Brian's talked about this a lot this year. There was just this, like, level of anxiety watching this team. Like, this has to be one of the dumbest conversations in hindsight. I don't even know if dumb is a word, but. This whole idea, like they were wasting Russell Wilson's prime when they had a team that, frankly, in hindsight, that's one of the stupidest conversations that we spend years in all these playoff games. We're like, oh, this guy's not getting in the Super Bowl. Like, oh, he's not, he's as good as Aaron Rod. Like, that's probably the stupidest time, thing we spent. And there was that stress, and the team played like in a lot of those playoff games where they just came out like looking on empty. And I went against the Rams where like he threw the pick six on the sidelines, and there was just the stress in the fan base that's, kind of hung over the team and that came from Russ and it came from Mark Rogers and it came from just the conversation and it's gone. Like, yeah, they've had 
that six week stretch where they were very hard to cheer for. I'm not going to lie to this. It was a gutless team. Me and Brian and Evan did a podcast talking about it. But the coolest thing and what Brian talked about all year is like, we've kind of gone away from that like divided mindset and we've all sort of come back together. And it's pretty hilarious in hindsight that Russell's one good game of the year. He threw the ball 24 times and they ran the ball over 50%. That was his one good game of the year. So I think we've learned a lot about some of our dumb priors, some of the dumb takes, but I think the looseness really is just the mentality around the team right now. And hell, before the Bucks game, there was that video that went viral of them dancing around in Germany. I had buddies who were like, holy shit. I, and they bet on the Seahawks saying, like, look how loose and how much fun they're having. <laughs> they got crushed and they were not ready to play. And that's what worries me a little bit. I'd like to see a little more focus, but listen, this is Pete's thing, culture, messaging. So I kind of see it both ways. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. Yeah. I remember that video too, and that was right in the middle of that win streak. And I'm like, holy shit, this team's gonna be something special. And they laid an egg. So we will see. That's that's what like I told you what I'm hoping to see. If what we see is a team, and I will tell you, part of my instincts are that's what I'm seeing is a team that like doesn't believe that they can compete. And if they like get punched and that they just roll over, I'll be in I'll be furious. Like there, I don't care if you're outmatched. I never want to see my team roll over. And so uh, I'm hoping that's not the case. As long as they like really put it all out there, then I'm fine. But like, I don't want to see another game against Tampa. That game broke me and it's taken months for me to get back together. I don't want to see it to end the season, especially against the 49ers. So that to me, that's part of why I was asking last thing. And then we'll get into to predictions. You mentioned Jeff, the years of Russ and the debates, big part of that, like maybe the climax of that came in the Dallas game playoff game where the Seahawks came out and they ran the ball stubbornly and everyone thought they should pass it more. By the way, everyone did <laughs> like that. There wasn't much of a divide, but people kind of use that as the game. Anyway, do you think there's a chance that the that they're going to come into this game and just run the ball no matter what and not try to pass? Do you have a fear that like they're still that stubborn about how they're going to approach these games? Jeff, curious your thoughts. Yes, you know. yes, I do have that fear. Um, we've seen just so many playoff games where they've just their first half they've come out in a shell and been unprepared and. We're going to learn now, was that a Russell thing? Was that a Pete thing? What's What does worry me was that Tampa game was sort of like that bowl game feel. And they came out like that. So that brought some like PTSD and the P standing for Pete. Um, but, well, we're going to learn a lot. So, yeah, we've seen – I didn't particularly like their game plan and offense last week. I thought Shane Waldron had one of the best game plans of the year, week 17. And I thought week 18 – they played it like it was a boxing match that they just weren't going to take any chances. And they played in a shell basically, and they still did too much offensively. So there's certainly that chance until I'm proven wrong. I hope that they come out and kind of let it, leave it all out there. Like that saints game when they won with Matt Hasselback, but until we see something differently in that bucks game, it's hard not to think that that's possible. 
Dana, I saw your reaction. What, what are your thoughts? You can kill me. Like we just spend the whole hour talking about how this team could win and how we don't even really mind if they don't win as long as they play blah, blah. And the minute you bring up Russell Wilson, you both get sucked right back into the, oh, I'm going to be so pissed at Pete. It cracks me up every time because that is how we are so conditioned as Seahawks fans right now, right? Like it's like, like you said, Pete, you know, traumatic stress disorder. I get it. But at the same time, Everyone and their brother knows it's really hard to run the ball against the Niners. And so they're going to have to figure out something different. And, you know, honestly, it wasn't so hard to run against a lot of these other teams. Ken Walker was just struggling with it there for a while. The, this team is in complete evolvement. And so I, I don't, I don't worry about previous playoff games just simply because of the change at quarterback. I think, in my opinion, that had a lot more to do with Russ necessarily than it did with Pete. Because um, haven't they thrown more this year than ever before? Right? Like, so I, I don't, I think that we're just so ready to be disappointed and irritated. And and I, I that's why I really want people to just try and keep as much of an open mind about this as possible. Because they do run it a ton. It's because they have Kenneth Walker as their running back. You know, he's up there for rookie of the year. So we, we have to keep that in mind. Um, but I, I think that they will throw it more. These coaches see what we see and they know that that's going to be their opportunity. Rain, no rain, whatever it is. So I, I, I don't want people to hold past playoff games against this team yet. Because with the change in quarterback, I think that maybe we'll see things a lot differently. Well, it's funny, Dana. You know, I actually I feel like differently than Jeff on this. Story. Like, I, I asked a question because I was curious. I don't have that concern here. And in fact, my bigger concern is that the Seahawks will come out and not run the ball enough. Like, that's mm -hmm. what happened. Yeah. That's what happened in the last time they played these teams. I felt mm -hmm. like I was watching the game casually. Cause I just didn't have expectations. I'm like, why are they not going back to Ken Walker? Like he's got things he he's doing. Okay. Why are they not utilizing him? So I think there's a lot of reasons that make sense for them to actually try to try to see. I wouldn't mind if they come out, they did two eligible offensive additional eligible offensive linemen in the Rams game. They were doing a lot of extra tackle eligible stuff. And if they want to go big, and they want to try to run straight at these guys because they believe that's their best chance. Cool. Like I'm for that. Uh, and I'm confident that they're going to pass. Like there's just no way that they're not, but, but uh, I don't have that concern, but it is curious. I think that some people still have, have a uh, post-traumatic yeah. stress from that for I sure. Pete traumatic stressors. Yeah. I love that. I love that a lot. All right, let's get down to predictions. I've kept you guys longer than we agreed, so I appreciate that. Um, let's start with you, Dana. Uh, what is the score of this game going to be? I think due to the weather, whether it's still raining or it just had rained the inch, half an inch to an inch that it was going to, whatever it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I just think that it's going to be a little sloppy. The play's going to be a little sloppy. So I'm going to say, I, I do think San Francisco's going to win this game, and I, I have no problem saying that as we have, chronicled very obviously for obvious reasons throughout this one um this show but i think it's going to be a lower scoring so i think it's going to be probably something like 21 17 maybe 24 17 right in there all right jeff yeah like if my head is being honest here yeah it's hard not to pick san francisco they've just been bludging everyone and seattle's just 
like I said before, they're a great story. They're not yet a great team. And we got all these draft picks coming up. If you want to become the Niners, we got to hit on these draft picks. Uh, we got three in the top 36. And that's how San Francisco got good. They got Bosa, Debo, Fred Warner. They drafted all these guys. So Seattle's a little behind them. I hope I hope it's competitive. My gut says it's probably not yet. I don't think there's any shame in that. I guess the difference between that stress thing I was talking about before is I don't really have many expectations. I'm just puzzling hoping it's a fun competitive game. So I'm going to say 27 to 13 for San Francisco. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's competitive, but the talent mismatch is just too big in my opinion. Makes sense. I'm going a different direction. So I see the path. I, I, this is, this is not a normal season. Nothing that's, that's happened so far makes any sense. It doesn't make sense that Geno Smith is, is a pro bowler after eight years of not playing. It doesn't make sense that the Seahawks started out one and two and their defense was one of the worst in the league for five weeks. And then it was the best in the league. Then it was the worst in the league. And then it's one of the best in the league. It doesn't make sense. Same players. Doesn't make sense that Daryl Taylor was like, has been like bust and now finishes the season with nine and a half sacks. It doesn't make sense that Quandre Diggs was, we were talking about on this show, he should be cut like absolutely. And he is one of the worst safeties playing. And then he is one of the best safeties playing. It doesn't make sense that this team is in the playoffs and has a number five overall pick. It will continue to not make sense as the Seahawks go in there, play a 49ers team that has only played essentially games where they could blow people off the field week in, week out. Where they're going to play a team that has nothing to lose, where they are going to be able to get some more run success than other teams have, that their quarterback is the 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 more well-rounded quarterback in this game that the weather is not going to cooperate that this game is going to be closer than 49ers expect and they've been reading their own news clippings and they are going to be dressed the way green bay was when it was closer against the lions heading into the third and fourth quarter and that the seahawks have the better special teams and so this one is going to shock everybody. It is going to be a game that we talk about for eons. The Ox are going to go in there and shock everybody. They're going to win 21 to 19. Oh. Uh, and I'll even go as far as to say it will be a late Jason Myers field goal. I'm glad you waited for Evan to leave before you said that. <laughs> I couldn't do it any other way. Oh my God. That would be amazing. That would make me the happiest person. Know Evan's picking? Ever. Say that again. Do we know who Evan's picking? No, he didn't tell me. You want to text him? See if we can get his pick before we, we, uh, <laughs> we drop off here. So yeah. while we're doing that, I will say, please, if you haven't already give the show a like folks. Uh, we appreciate it. Subscribe to the channel. This is going to be a heavily trafficked space for the next Forever, practically. There's so much to talk about with the Seahawks. Uh, Seahawks, whatever happens in this game, will be owning the fifth pick in the draft and another first-round pick and two more second-round picks early in the second round. And this team is going to look dramatically different than it did before. 
we are coming off a season which I believe should be an executive of the year win for John Schneider. Had, if not the best draft class, one of them uh, had the best trade of the offseason with Russ, had one of the best free agent crops. Uh, Chenin Nuosu finishes with nine and a half sacks for a lot less money than a lot, a lot of other people spent. So now he has a lot more ammunition and cap space. Let's see what happens next. Okay. Anything from anything you want to add, Jeff? And do we get anything back from a text? No, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Evan won. <laughs> All right. He went to get food. With that, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter, and I am Brian Emhauser at Hawkblogger. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Let's have fun this weekend. Treat each other well. Avoid 49ers fans. It's not worth the time. And go Hawks.